Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We began our series three weeks ago on the last words of the last words of Jesus. And the first week was, Father, forgive them, for they, they know not what they do. And in that message, we learned that forgiveness is not determined by other people's response to us. They won't talk to us, or they, they won't tell me that if I forgive them, they forgive me. Or, but instead, forgiveness is determined by our obedience to God. I, I mentioned to you two weeks ago that there are people that we can't forgive. They're just things in my life that go, I I can't forgive them. But we're not the source of forgiveness. Who is? So when we don't forgive, we think we're cutting ourselves off from someone over here. But in reality, when we don't forgive, we cut ourselves off from the source of forgiveness that we need too. So in order for me to forgive someone that I can't forgive now, all I have to do is get reconnected back to the source. Who is? And God gives forgiveness to me so he can give forgiveness through me. He gives forgiveness so he can give forgiveness through me to other people. So when you say that, I can't forgive them for what they've done. All of us have said that at one point or another in our life this week. No, not this week. But all of us have said that. I, I can't forget. You, you're right. You probably can't like you are. But if you get reconnected to the source of forgiveness, he can give forgiveness to you so he can forgive it through you to others. Then today we pick up our, our third message. And I'm going to tell you, out of all the messages that I'm going to preach leading up to Easter, um, this is the most difficult one. Uh, a lot of the subjects that I preached on, I preached on for many years, and I have a file of about 20 years of preaching, and all of my messages are typed out and filed, so when my, my children are standing up preaching long after I'm gone, they have inherited a gold mine. Okay, so if you ever come here and any of my children are preaching, they don't sound good, go walk up to them and go, go into your daddy's files and pray over what he left you. Okay. But I, I, in studying this subject, I have a library of about 3,000 books, um, many commentaries, many books on Christian books on different subjects. I have access to the internet since Al Gore invented it. I also uh, have access to YouTube since the devil invented that. (laughs) You know he did. So I, I literally have looked up everything I can. I've spent 40 hours on what I want to share with you in about 30 minutes. And this is probably the most difficult subject I've ever studied in my life. And I've never preached on it. And so I never knew how little there was. And I was wondering, why? Why is this so difficult? I mean, these are words of Jesus. People have been thinking about them for 2,000 years. Why is it so difficult? Today's message is, My God, my God. Okay, let me try that one more time. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why would Jesus utter these words? Why would God in the flesh, remember Jesus was God and man. So 
He was man in that he had a body like you and me so that he could feel and experience every emotion and every feeling that we have. But he was God too. So when he walked in a room, he knew what everybody was thinking. When he walked and he only healed one person, he actually had the power to heal everybody that was there if he wanted to. But he only did what the Father wanted him to do. So he was both God and and man. So why did he utter these words? Why would God in the flesh feel forsaken by his Father? Why did he feel abandoned or deserted or forsaken? All come from the root of forsaken me. Same word. Think about this a moment. Roman rulers didn't intimidate him. Armies didn't frighten him. Touching lepers didn't scare him. Storms didn't move him. The only thing that Jesus was afraid of was being separated from his father. Mark chapter 15, we we pick up our, our, our foundational passage and we're using the Amplified, and it's a study Bible that I like to use, that translation, and you'll see the captions. When you do, it gives you the fullest meaning of the original language. And so let's read it together. And when the six hour came, which actually was about midday, there had come, there was a darkness over the whole land. So it's noon. It should be the brightest time of the day. Instead, it's what? It's completely dark over the whole land until the ninth hour or about three o'clock. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or, and leave me helpless and abandoned. Why would Jesus utter these words and And what is he teaching us in that? I want to take each one of these phrases and break it down into three. He says, my God, my God. What was Jesus teaching us? The first thing he was teaching us is that pain is a part of a fallen world. How many of you hate pain? I hate pain. Like I hate pain. I went to the dentist a week ago. Dr. Morgan is my dentist. We have a lot of great dentists in here, but Dr. Morgan's been our dentist a long time. And they said, Last time I went, they said, uh, you need to get your teeth cleaned. And next time you come, you're going to have to get a deep cleaning. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? My wife does that once a year during the spring. And they said, that means that we're going to have to give you some shots. Now, I, I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of hell. Sometimes I'm afraid of Michelle. <laughs> okay. There's not a lot of stuff outside of God and Michelle that I'm afraid of. I hate needles. Look, if the only way you could have ever taken drugs was through a needle, I would have never. I don't care Cheech and Chong, anything. If the only way you could have got weed was through a needle, it would have never happened. Okay. But, but, but I, I have, I hate needles. How many hate needles? Raise your hand. Y'all don't know this, but like when I got married, it was so long ago, 41 years ago, you had to get a blood test before you got married. How many remember that when you used to have to get a blood test? Okay. I seriously considered not getting married over the needle. 
I mean, I'm, I, I remember the angst. And Michelle will tell you, I didn't, Haddon is the same way. He can't, he can't stand needle. So I go to the dentist and they tell me I need this deep cleaning. And so when I go back, uh, I'm laying in there in the chair last week. And the lady goes, um, you know, um, you've been here in a while. And Dr. Morgan's here. He said, yeah, I thought you left me. I'm like, no, Dr. Morgan, I'm very loyal. It wasn't that long ago. He goes, two and a half years ago. I'm like, you know why was it two and a half years ago? Because they said, the next time you come. I mean, to me, that needle looks like as long as this thing right here. It may be this long, but in my mind, it's this long. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I mean, the, the girl that they had, that, 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 she did a great job because she was just laid back like this. And I just thought she had me relaxed. No. She had her hand covered like this. And then she goes. <laughs> and by the time she said, do you feel anything? I'd already felt it. And, like the, the, and, and so luckily she didn't let me ever see the needle even though she was putting it in my mouth. Do you know why? Because we all hate, we all hate pain. But what is pain? Can I tell you what pain is? Ladies, this is going to help you. Have you ever been driving your car, ladies, and the oil light blinks? Okay. That's not an ornament like pre-Christmas. Okay. That's a sign for you to pull over. Your engine is about to blow up. Pain is an engine light from God reminding you and me that we're not home yet. There is going to be a day where there will be no more pain. There is going to be a day where there will be no more tears and no more suffering. But we're not there yet. Jesus himself walked through this to remind us that the world is still fallen and it's not what God wants it to be. And people always say this. Well, one of my, uh, one of my newest people that I like to listen to, I go through times where I like listening to different people and, and I'm listening to a guy named John Lennox. John Lennox is a math professor from Oxford University, 78 years old, and he's a Christian and he travels around and debates the leading atheist in the world. You can, you can pull him up on YouTube, John Lennox. And every single debate that he's in, they get to the place where why, why have these people lost their faith? And every one of these agnostic and atheists that I've listened to him debate, most of them or many of them started off with Christian faith. They believed the Bible. They had some semblance of a relationship with God, but they experienced something that was painful and they either had to turn loose of their faith and hold on to their pain or turn loose of their pain and hold on to their faith. And in each one of their cases, they held on to their pain and went, if there was a God who was loving, if there was a God who was all-powerful, why did I go through this pain? So I want to answer that question for you. Could God stop all pain? He surely could. But in order to stop all pain, he would have to remove everybody that's committed something that was painful, is doing something that's painful now to themselves or others, who has the potential of doing anything sinful or painful. Who would be left? 
Not the lady who works at Dr. Morgan's office. She'd be gone right now. <laughs> could tell you that. Of course not. None of us would be left because all of us have sinned and all of us fall short. So until that time when you experience pain, it's God reminding you the world's not what it's supposed to be and it's never been since the fall. But one day there will be a day where there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears, but it's not here and we're not home yet. Why did Joe Biden do that? We're not home yet. Why did the banks do that? We're not home yet. Why did that happen? We're not home yet. Why did Trump say that? We're not home yet. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But I want to remind you, we are so blessed in America. We start thinking this is heaven. You're wrong. Pain reminds you. We're not home yet. It was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers at us in our pleasure, but he screams at us in our pain. Say that with me. I'm not home yet. What else was Jesus teaching us? He was teaching us that we can cry out to a God that understands. When he said, my God, my God, he was still acknowledging, you're still God, even if I'm in pain, you're still God. Here's the second phrase. Why have you? Has anybody here ever questioned God? Did Jesus know the answer to why he was going through what he was going through? Of course. Read the New Testament. He says to the disciples over and over, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. Of course he knew. But because he was both God and man in his body, he was suffering. And as he was suffering in his body, he cried out because he has questioned just like you and me when we go through things physically, even though he was God. It still hurt. Even though it was God in the middle of his pain, it didn't make sense. It's okay to question God. Just don't question if there is a God. You can do that before you know him, but after you know him, it, it's okay to question God. Why? Which, by the way, did God answer Jesus? At that moment? No. And you know what that tells me? That just because God is silent, it doesn't mean he's absent. Just because he's silent. Well, pastor, what do I do? Think about all the other times that he's answered and you heard him. Think about all the other things that he's done in your life. You know what I do in the difficulties and challenges of life? In the first service, there was a man here that I've walked with that's walked through pain that nobody in this room would ever want to walk through. My friend right here was in a helicopter crash. Other people died. He's the lone survivor. Or did the pilot survive too? You're the lone survivor. Two of y'all. There's a man that I've ministered to who had one child, he and his wife, his only child, his wife were going to the LSU game and, and their plane crashed. And in one moment, his whole world, his son who was 16 years old, he turned 16 on Monday, so they brought him a truck on Saturday and they were going to go to the game. 
that morning and then on Monday he was going to be able to drive his truck and go to Ascension. And he went from all of that to going home to nothing. Not a wife. Not a child. Nothing. I've lost a child at 20, but but I still had Michelle. I I still had five other children. I, I can't imagine walking through those pains, but when we walk through moments like that, We have to be reminded it's okay to question God. But just because God is silent, it doesn't mean that he's absent and he's seen every pain. He's seen every injustice. And just like you cried, can I tell you something? He cries too. He does. Jesus stood over Jerusalem before he would be crucified and he wept and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would want to gather you like a hen does its chicks, but you wouldn't. And he cried. Can I tell you something that's going to shock you? You know the things that hurt you and you cried? It hurt God too. It hurt God too. When Michelle and I went through grief counseling, one of the things that was very astounding to me is the counselor looks at you and, you know, they know the whole circumstance. You've been together for hours and they say, in the moment of your tragedy, okay, where, where do you see yourself? And you say, well, you know, I see myself, you know, there's my son, he's lost, he's laying in the street, nobody's there, blah, 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 blah. They go, okay. Where's God? Stop, pause, and let's ask God, God, where were you? Where were you in the middle of my tragedy? And as you begin to pray, I'm telling you, I got the free songs right now. You begin to see that he was right there weeping and broken too. He was broken too. Here's the third part. Why have you forsaken me? You've forsaken me. You forsaken me. What was Jesus teaching us? Well, before we get to answering Jesus' question, I, I got a couple of questions of my own. How many of you know that your real friends are with you through thick and thin? Someone said your real friends walk in when everybody else walks out. That good? Okay, you agree with that clap. Your real friends walk in and everybody else walks out. So where were the people who received life-changing miracles from Jesus? Like, where, where were these people when Jesus was at his darkest hour? You know who was there? John the Beloved, the youngest disciple, and a few of the Marys. They were there. So... Where was blind Bartimaeus? Like the, the guy that was born blind and blind all of his life. Where was he going? Wait a minute. He is the son of God. Look, I was blind, but now I see. Where, where was the leper that Jesus healed? He healed many lepers. The people who were ostracized from all of their family once they got leprosy and they would die there except that Jesus healed them and then they got to go back to everyone that they loved. Where were those people going? No, he healed me. 
Where was the little boy whose lunch fed 5,000? I mean, he knew it was his lunch. Where was the gathering demoniac that Jesus cast out a legion of demons out of? Where was Jairus who Jesus raised his daughter from the dead? Where was the paralyzed man who got killed at the pool of the Bethesda? Where was the woman caught in the act of adultery that should have been killed, but Jesus spared her life? And dear heavens, where was Lazarus? I mean, if anybody was not afraid of being killed, it would have been him. He'd already been dead and raised once. And then here's the one that really shocks me. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying because he knows what's imminently going to come. And that's where he prays that, that prayer, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then all of a sudden, they come with torches at night. And who's leading the crowd? Judas. And they get there and Jesus comes and says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I'm him. Boom. Instantly, they all fell on the ground. They got back up and he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I'm him. And they go to grab Jesus. And Peter does what? Pulls out a sword. And what does he do? He cuts off the ear. He wouldn't even have a good aim. <laughs> aim for the head and got an ear. What a terrible shot. And he cuts off the ear of a slave, a servant named Malchus. And what does Jesus do? He reaches down, picks up his ear, puts it back, and heals him. Like, where was he? That dude should have been there going, oh, whoa, whoa, what time? You're not killing him? Look what he just did for me. All of these people were gone. Where were the disciples who saw him walk on water, raise the dead, heal the sick, turn the water into wine, and do all of these and other amazing miracles? Where were they? But back to Jesus' question. Why did Jesus feel forsaken? Number one, because for the first time, he felt the pain of sin through fear and guilt and shame for the sin of all mankind, past, present, and future. Now look right here a moment. How many of you have done something that you wouldn't want anybody to know about? Raise your hand. How many of you asked God to forgive you? Good. Then he won't tell me so that I don't announce it. Okay. It's forgiven. Okay. How many of you have done something and you felt like bad for days? Raise your hand. Okay, we all have. I have. Imagine taking all the guilt you felt all of your life for one person and at one time putting it all on Jesus. Would he feel bad? How about if he did that for a thousand people? How about if he did that for a million people? How about if he did it for billions who would live past, present, and future, and it was all put on his body at one time? Do you know what killed Jesus? Sin killed Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. Our sin killed Jesus. Listen to what... 1 Peter 2.24 says, he personally carried 
our sins in his body on the cross, willingly offering himself on it as on an altar of so that we might die to and become immune to the power, the penalty and power of sin, which is guilt, fear, and shame, and live for, for by his, his wounds, we who believe have been what? Healed. Here's the second reason he felt forsaken, because he'd never been separated from the Father in all of eternity. He never felt the Father's separation, ever, ever. Ever. I, I remember when we finally got Jacob Jr. to go into the nursery. My, my daughter-in-law, Rochelle, runs the, the, the nursery. And she told me the other day, we were talking, she goes, we keep telling this family, just, just drop the child off. I mean, they're going to scream and cry for a long time, but then they'll be fine. Okay, how many of you remember that first child? Slept with you till he was like 17. Okay, you, you, you got him off the bottle when he was like 12, took the pacifier away at like 13. You remember that, how hard it was with the first one? We took Jacob Jr. We were then going to First Assembly in New Iberia, which is now our church there in New Iberia. And, and we would literally, Michelle, until he was five years old, she couldn't drop him off because he would cry and would break her heart. They wouldn't want to be separated from each other. Jesus had never felt separated from his father ever. As a matter of fact, one theologian tells us that when Jesus got to the tomb to raise up Lazarus and the shortest verse in the Bible is there, Jesus, Jesus wept. That the reason that was recorded that Jesus wept is not because he was afraid or concerned about what was happening. He was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But it was because he saw people weeping and he saw Lazarus dead and he knew that soon he would be in the same circumstance and what would happen to his followers and how he would feel. And so he wept. He wept. Because Jesus had never felt separation from his father. Here's the third thing and reason why. Why did he feel forsaken? Because for the first time, eternal life was facing eternal death. The only time disobedience and sin had ever entered heaven was through a man named Lucifer, an angel named Lucifer, who got kicked out immediately. But Jesus, who is the very life of God, is going to face death, the physical death that you and I have experienced. He is experiencing himself. And number four, Because the Christ of glory would take hell's best shot so we could enter into heaven's gates. He would take hell's best shot for you and me. He would take all the guilt and fear and shame of the world. So here's the answer. Why was he forsaken? He was forsaken so you could be forgiven. He was forsaken and felt shame so that we could experience grace. He felt rejection so we could receive a gift of righteousness. He was beaten so we could be beloved. He was abandoned so we'd never be alone. He was orphaned so that we could cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. He was 
felt separation for us. He was sacrificed for us. He was substituted for us. What does substitute mean? A person acting or serving in the place of another. He didn't just die for you. He actually died in place of you and me. So when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you would never have to experience eternal separation from God. I told you that we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed through his word alone, for the glory of God alone. Yes, he was forsaken. So we would be forgiven and never be forgotten or forsaken. To leave, to leave means to go away. Say that with me. To leave means to? To forsake means to turn away. To forsake means to? God turned away and went away from his son so we would never go away or turn away. He would never go away or turn away from us. Why did he say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look at me. For me. For you. For your children. For your grandchildren. He cried out so that we would never have to cry out and be separated from the Father again. Stories told of a, of a king who was ruler over a kingdom and and in this kingdom, many people began to steal. So they, they had to figure out how, how could they keep all of these people from stealing? It kind of sounded like California. And so the king said, I will make a law. And here's the law. Anyone who's caught stealing will have both of their eyes gouged out with a hot iron. That way, they'll never see to steal again. The word went out. It took a while, but finally someone was caught stealing. Brought them up before the entire city as an example, gouged their eyes out. Not long afterwards, the unthinkable happened. It was discovered that the king's son had stolen something. The crowd of the city gathered as the boy was brought out before his father sitting there on the throne. The people who were there heating up the arms to gouge out the eyes, they were there. And, and people in the crowd started saying, there is no way he would ever do this to his son. No way, no way. He's too merciful to do that to his son. What kind of a father would he be if he did that to his son? And the other people said, I'll tell you what kind of father he is. If he doesn't do what he said, if he doesn't follow the law that he applied to others, he's a liar. That's what he is. He's a liar. So the boy was brought. The city gathered. Everyone waited with bated breath. And sure enough, they heated up the object that would put out his eye. And they took it. Sure enough, they, they put his first eye out. As they heated it up again, 
the father stepped in and he pushed his son out of the way and he took the object and he put out one of his own eyes. So that that way, he was both just and merciful. You know what that son would say forever? Every time he looked at that eye that was out of his father, he did that for me. He did that for me. Why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's the answer? He did it for me. I want you to say that. He did it. He did it. He did it for me. For me. You know what that tells me? There's no little sin. There's no little sin. He did that for me. Father, today, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit right now to confirm your word. Jesus, you did it for me. Father God, you watched all of this happen and you did it for me, for each of us. You made him who knew no sin to be sin. He could never sin, so you had to make him to be sin. Like we could never be righteous, so you had to make us to be righteous. Today, Father God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for willingly give your life, giving your life. No one took it from you. But you felt that, so we never would. Holy Spirit, come now. Come now to those that are in this room, to those that are watching online. Give us a revelation of this amazing truth. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So they wouldn't see the kingdom or they wouldn't enter into the kingdom. That's what he told a religious man named Nicodemus. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, what, what does that mean? Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. You and I were born spiritually dead. And it's only when we come and surrender our lives to Christ that we become born again. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, a spiritual resurrection happens inside you and me. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. It could have happened to you when you were six, seven, 17, or 77. But it only happens once. Have you been born again? 
You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you in just a moment if you'd like to pray to be born again, to know God, to have the power to turn away from sin, to truly turn completely to Christ. If that's you, if today you'd like to be born again and you've never prayed to be born again, remember I told you it only happens once, just like the day you were born. Then on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm just going to pray for you right at your seat where you are. Nobody's looking but me. I'm just going to pray for you right at your seat. One, God brought you here. Yes, God brought you here. Someone invited you, but God brought you. Two, everything in your life and every time in your life, God has been sending messages to you, pursuing you, bringing you to this moment. Because he loves you and he wants to know you. He loves you with a never-ending love. In Christ, he showed you he'd rather die than live without you. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for you and for me? And now's your time to come into a relationship with God, to surrender completely to Christ, to be born again. If that's you, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. Three. Raise your hand high. Raise it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. Anywhere else? All right, you can put your hands down. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these twenty-two, but I should have. Mark's about to beat out of my chest. I know God is talking to me. I got it. He died for me. I should have raised my hand. I didn't. Raise it right now and join these 23, 24, 25, 26. All right. Now, church, let's pray out loud. With all of those that raised your hand, we're going to join you praying out loud together with you. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.